during the pandemic and maybe now because we're still in this hot moment. It's certainly not ever going to go back to what it was, quote unquote, but there's a hangover effect for many people, anxiety and depression. And there's a big connection with strength training to support reductions in anxiety and to boost mood and mood state. So helping you deal with or avoid depression. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Women have been misled about working out, especially in perimenopause and menopause. Now, I want to dispel two of the biggest myths right now. Myth number one, the harder and longer you work out, the bigger the results. This is simply not true, especially after 40, and honestly, even earlier for some of us. I will never forget burning myself into the ground after an hour of working out at Orange Theory. Yet I kept going and going and going. And honestly, I felt so miserable and exhausted for the rest of the day after literally giving it my all in the gym. And you know what I had to show for it? Again, exhaustion and the scale moved up, not down because of it. Now, the second myth, excessive cardio leads to a better metabolism. It's simply not true for most women. Because here's the deal, working out is a stressor on the body, no matter how you slice it. And stress causes a release of cortisol. And if we consistently release cortisol for long periods of time, especially in the afternoon, we actually get the opposite effect of burning fat and increasing our metabolism. Our body ends up going into survival mode and we end up spiking insulin levels and blood sugar levels and we start to pile on the belly fat. And over time, major inflammation begins to take place in our cardiovascular system because of those blood sugar and insulin spikes. Now, I'm not saying that women after the age of 40 should not exercise. Oh, no. I work out three to four times a week and I move my body every single day. And I'm going to be 42 in literally a month. Movement is critical for our heart, bones, brain, and yes, most importantly, our metabolism and our muscle, right? We've got to maintain that muscle mass. Exercise is important for women at all ages, but it's about the type of exercise along with the length of time you are working out that really makes the difference. So what if you could get more bang for your buck by shortening your workouts and not overdoing it? I don't know about you, but I say heck yes. Sign me up. This has been the key to my success these last three to four years, and I'm excited to share what's working and what's not working for women, especially those over 40. Now, right now, I, again, I'm turning 42 in a month. Um, I am eight months postpartum and I had lost all of my baby weight at five months and I'm actually six or seven pounds below that. And that is literally only due to a super healthy diet and being really mindful of the type of workouts I do. It's a lot of hikes, a lot of walking, and a lot of weight training. That's really what it's been down to. My goal was not to lose that much weight, but my body, as I get more metabolically fit, which is super important to me, especially as I get older, I am just releasing some more weight, which I'm not gonna lie, I'm not mad at it at all, but I just wanted to speak into I'm doing less 
but I'm just being really specific about what's going to drive a boost in metabolism and increase that muscle mass versus just wearing and burning myself out. And to be honest, I've got nothing left in the tank with this baby. So getting really clear and dialed in on how to boost our metabolism and really strengthen our body is so, so key as we get older. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am of the work that we're going to be talking about today, especially with my dear friend, Deborah Atkinson. She's been such an inspiration on helping me to shift and change the way that I work out. I'm super excited to dive into this episode about everything women in perimenopause and menopause really need to learn about working out, especially post-pandemic, right? And she's going to be sharing not only how to master our metabolism, but also how to get our metabolism and our fitness working for us post-pandemic. And I get that we're still very much in pandemic mode. It feels like it's never going to end, but at least there's some level of normality for some of us. And I know that Deborah has been working with thousands of women throughout the pandemic and post-pandemic and really has her thumb on what to do to make these powerful changes. So I would love to dive into this epic conversation with Deborah, but before we do, I want to quickly sing her praises. Hormone balancing fitness expert Deborah Atkinson has helped over 150,000 women flip their second half with energy and vitality. She is the author of You Still Got It Girl, the after 50 fitness formula for women, navigating fitness after 50 and hot, not bothered. Deborah hosts Flipping 50 TV and Flipping 50 podcast, and she is a top podcast for adults 50 plus and has over a million downloads. And she's got an amazing challenge that I can't wait to talk to you about at the end of this episode. Let's dive on in. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Deborah Atkinson. How are you doing today, girl? Hey, I'm so good. I'm always glad to be here and see you. I am so happy to have you on. This is going to be your second time on the show. We have the most fun, not just on my podcast, but on your podcast. I just love that we both get to support each other in such amazing ways. And for you and I, and for everybody involved, this has been a very, very interesting time. I know we're still living in the upside down, even as this episode is going live. And for a lot of us as women, particularly in our 40s and our 50s, it has been, it's been really, really hard for us, you know, being stuck in our homes, having more responsibilities, like things just go to the wayside, let's be honest. And in your experience, knowing that you are serving women, you know, 40s, 50s and beyond, especially when it comes to their fitness, their metabolic rate, just really helping them to take care of their bodies. What is, what is the state that you're seeing for many of us right now post or kind of towards the end of this pandemic when it comes to our fitness and our our metabolic flexibility? Yeah, such a great question. And it's a loaded answer. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I do need to relay the reality. One statistic, and then we can dive into it further, but a study just released by JAMA in uh, 2021, so earlier this year, found that the average weight gain And this was men and women, average age of 51, which is also significant to women, as you know, was one and a half pounds a month. Now, as of May, just for rounding numbers, as of May 2021, that's 20 pounds. That's significant. And especially you and I knowing women hit menopause at the average age of 51, which 
you know, none of us are exactly average. Of course, it happens, you know, younger, older, and a few sprinkled right in there. But if you happen to be a woman really going through that menopause transition, that last couple of years of perimenopause, first couple of years of postmenopause, when you have that accelerated loss of muscle and bone due to that estrogen level, really taking that nosedive and cortisol coming up, you're really vulnerable. And, and it's more than embarrassing or uncomfortable and frustrating. It's potentially, it's devastating disability risk in 10 years. I think truly we're going to see in eight to 10 years, some backlash and changes in what's happening with older adults. So the older you are, I think the more serious you want to take it. One thing that I find interesting about that study was that you know, smart scale users in general are probably more conscious. I mean, they're certainly more aware of the need to track their weight and their body composition. But yet what we saw in that study is it continued to go up. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you there. There is definitely concern for everyone. I think a lot of people put on a little bit of weight during the pandemic. And what you and I both know, as you spoke into just a second ago, as estrogen declines and it gets to very, very menopausal levels, basically is what we call it, that our, our sensitivity for insulin and our metabolic flexibility diminishes. And so we become, we just naturally become more insulin resistant. You know, it doesn't take a lot to tip the scale as we get older on weight resistance, on extra belly fat, and then most importantly, the concern around the inf inflammatory part of this whole scenario. And yes, I am afraid that we're going to see some interesting stats around morbidity and mortality later on in the next decade or so because of what this pandemic has done to us. And, and more so around the stress component, the inflammatory component, and definitely around, you know, really messing up our hormones in a big way. And what have you seen in terms of fitness as well? Have you found that overall people just I know for some people, people, some, some small group of people definitely stepped up their fitness, you know, because right. you're home. But I know that for a lot of us, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And a very informal study, actually, I interviewed the sponsors of it and they took a, an audience of 10,000 people, interviewed them about their habits and what they had done. And what they found is that those who were less active, you know, maybe sporadically one to two times a week, not really committed, they were the group that actually started to exercise more. And potentially, you know, I would infer that that's probably those people who were saying time is my biggest issue, you know, but maybe now no, no commute, you know, it's much easier to fit it in. And so those people actually continue to exercise, in fact, increase their exercise to get in the sweet spot of that Goldilocks just enough, but not too much. Those people who were most likely gym goers, who were the religious, you know, I show up before the door opens, I'm going to work out no matter what, you know, and potentially doing more than is necessary or potentially good for health those people actually backed off. I think they were a little bit lost is what I would say, dependent on the gym 
for their fitness as opposed to, you know, knowing I'm going to do certain activity regardless of, of where I do it or what happens. So we saw one group fall off and, and if they land in the sweet spot, I think that too was okay, but there definitely was more polarity right? So people either just really dropping off because the stress level was just too much. The to-do is just too much. For some, exercising at home, totally foreign, didn't know where to start, what to do. And so the guidance was just overwhelming. There was suddenly hundreds of thousands of new and free programs and videos online because every trainer, yoga instructor, fitness instructor was online. And, and giving free videos. But I think females specifically do a whole lot better with fewer, but better choices. So sometimes lots of choices are just very overwhelming. So that polarity was there, but a lot of people who did step it up, and this is probably my greatest concern, exercising more, but walking one, walking was the key. And there are a lot of health benefits that come from walking, but that walking alone does not solve the need for greater lean muscle tissue, for holding on to what you have and or gaining more of it. And that is a big support with what you are alluding to in insulin resistant. Blood sugar stabilization from strength training is fantastic. I 100% agree with you. I want to ask, you know, because we were both in the pandemic as well. And this is this is really your wheelhouse. I tried not to participate, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, as did I. I tried not to participate. Talk to me about what was your experience in the pandemic in terms of your metabolic flexibility, your, your fitness state, you know, what were some of the things that you did to kind of keep your habits in place? Such a great question. And, and I will have to say, like a lot of people, I think I rode a bit of a roller coaster, you know, so there were, there were months and then there were months and there were other months. And so that wasn't static. I don't believe all the way through. And initially, however, hit the fan in mid-March and we stepped it up. So I began right away being there for my community. So I was doing yoga most days at the beginning. I was starting to do interval training with our Flipping 50 members group more often than I could hold up. I was like, after a while, I was like, we're going to be here for a minute. I cannot do this with you three times a week, guys. <laughs> we're going to minimize things just a bit. But by July, I heard from them that many of them were in better shape than they had been before they started because of that accountability, you know, and knowing my peers are doing this, you know, on Monday and Friday, I'm going to do this. And it was like, it was a new thing to, to do and stick with each other. And it was a way to connect with other people. So it was very valuable, but in doing that and having to show up for someone else, you know, accountability is the number one reason people hire personal trainers, you know, and health coaches. And don't throw that under the bus or think, why well, shouldn't need to do that? Because that is worth everything. That is priceless. We all need that. So, you know, initially fitness actually was better and exercising in the right way, smarter and working on what really needs to happen because I was talking about immunity so very much. And 
you know, as you know, it's parallel. Immunity is parallel to hormone balance and what you need. And that was super helpful for everyone in our group as well. But then there was that period of time, I believe, in the fall where, you know, we we all got a little tired of it. Like, you know, I'm done now. You know, we just are ready for this to be over. And we kind of settled into her hearing too much, the words new normal, and, you know, may not have taken it quite as seriously. And I know I backed off of my group because I was giving them so much additional time that some of the projects were mounting, you know, on my desk and I wasn't getting to them. I said, listen, guys, I would love to continue giving you these extras, but I've got to pay attention. And and if I'm going to get your brand new program up and running, I've got to have some of that time back. So as I stopped that, I noticed my own fitness level kind of waned a little bit. So those short bits of exercise and hitting it regularly, far more valuable for me and for the membership than, than anything else was. And, and now I think I'm in a new wave. So it's starting to feel like this is going to be exciting again. We're going to get some freedom soon. And I'm kind of in a recommitment mode. And I sense that feeling from a lot of people that I'm working with in our, in our community at large as well. How about you? Mm, I love that so much. I love that you're kind of looking at the the new recommitment, like how do we go moving forward? And I want to talk a little bit about that best possible plan. You know, the pandemic was really, you know, it's such a great and in, interesting journey for me. One, I was pregnant most of it, as you know. Sure. I didn't yeah. work out my first trimester because I literally was crawling on the floor. Like I had had chronic fatigue before, but I was like, oh my gosh, this is chronic fatigue part two. And so I, it was enough to get, because where we live in, in San Diego, we're on a hill and there's no direction on the street where you can't, I have to walk back up a hill to get back to my house. So Alex was literally giving me little pushes up the, up the hill as we were doing walks. But the second I could work out, I worked out all the way till the week I was pregnant. And I was literally just doing weightlifting strength training because I knew, you know, so many women, especially in their forties, gestational diabetes is a real thing because pregnancy naturally puts women into insulin resistance, hence gestational diabetes. And so I was, I was like, okay, what's the best bang for my buck? How can I, you know, take care of my body, keep my insulin happy, keep myself healthy. And so from week, I want to say week 14 of my pregnancy all the way to week 38 and a half, because I was induced 38 and a half weeks, I was in the gym 20 to 30 minutes every day, strength training. That is what I was doing. And then I took a five-week break once Kingston was born and I was, my little, my butt was back in that gym again because it's in my garage. It's, I don't have to go very far. <laughs> and I was back to strength training again. And so that has been the pinnacle for me I think that's what allowed me to stay pretty fit during my pregnancy. I put on, I think, 25 pounds during my pregnancy. And then I've lost all of it at this point, all the, all the baby weight. And so for me, strength training was everything like, and, and that commitment one, and I think for all of us, just to speak into that really quickly for me. And then I think for us as well, having a why for why we do what we do. So for, for me, my, my son was the big why you know, keeping my body healthy. Also knowing that I was going to be in postpartum and perimenopause at the same time, Deborah. No joke, girl. I was like, am I going to survive this, the other side of this? And so I just knew if I could just tap into my strength training every day, grab my weights, 
do weight exercises that are going to really focus on those big muscle groups that I, that was my best chance of really supporting my body and not burning myself out. And so that, that's, that was my journey. And that's what I'm, I, today I was in the gym, 25 minutes strength training before I had a chiropractic appointment. And then before I had some, had work to do. So that was, that's how I started my, my day to day. So good. I love that story. And such a great role model and how, what a combination, right? Postpartum perimenopause. That's your next book. Uh, That's what everyone keeps telling me. (laughs) Well, it's so crazy. I have a, I have a CGM on as well. And if you can see that, and I've been tracking for the last, I think 10 days now, and it's, girl, it is crazy what will drive your blood sugar spikes. Like uh, things I, I thought I was so dialed and for the most part I am, but it's been really fascinating with the exercise piece. You know, sometimes I'm on a bike, sometimes I'm doing the strength training. Most days I'm always doing strength training. And my, it's, it is so phenomenal for stabilizing your blood sugar levels, the strength training. I can see it in real time. So I just want to speak into that, like knowing seeing it in my body and the changes in general, but then seeing it in my blood sugar levels every single day, profound difference when I am, when I'm doing the strength training workouts. Yeah, I love that. And I also want to piggyback on that. So during the pandemic, for sure, and maybe now, because we've still, we're still, you know, in this hot moment, it's certainly not ever going to go back to what it was, quote unquote, but there's a hangover effect for many people, anxiety and depression. And there's a big connection with strength training to support reductions in anxiety and to boost mood and mood state. So helping you deal with or avoid depression. And, you know, I think so if we can hit it from all over, so such benefits. And for a lot of people, getting moving first with strength training can be far easier, you know, not having to have that severe discomfort of getting breathless. And often if you're not drawn to, you know, interval training or cardiovascular exercise, you will probably be more inclined to have a better time and enjoy yourself a little bit more with strength training and feel better at it, sense of achievement. I agree 100%. I say everybody go get some weights. <laughs> go get some yes. weights. <laughs> now that you finally can, right? Yes, Who now that they're said, back. There's going to be a global dumbbell pandemic, right? Somebody had said that to you at the end of February in 2020. I would have said, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Or a kettlebell pandemic. I mean, my gosh, it, it was crazy. I was like, thank goodness we have all of this already. So true. Okay, let's talk about, so I know we talked about our own personal experiences and kind of the things that we did to really keep ourselves healthy and how we pivoted, you know, during this, during this crazy time. Now that we're, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I know for some people, depending on where you live, I was having a conversation with a friend in New Jersey and what's happening in San Diego is very different than what's happening in New Jersey, right? So there are definitely places in this country that still very feel, feel very much like we're in the pandemic, whereas other places definitely feel a little bit more free to kind of do your thing. But what is the best possible plan of action for women as they're looking at the last year, knowing that they're needing to pivot, knowing that they need to get back into their routines? How can we rebound from this? 
Yeah, great question. And actually, I think it's a very exciting question to be asking. So if you're feeling, you know, that you're looking at the back thinking, I wish I would have or I could have been giving yourself that guilt. I think the moment that you're in right now is a huge opportunity. So you've got a clean slate so you can get started. But you always want to start with, you know, restore before more. So check in, right? I mean, you've mentioned your own fatigue and what that feels like and knowing And often you can be dealing with that kind of fatigue and be, you know, in a space where you feel like you've gained weight or you've got belly fat. And women are often drawn to that old conditioning of, you know, exercise more and eat less. And even though they're feeling thrown under the bus already by a fatigue, they may ignore it and try to do the thing that worked for them years ago or that we thought worked for us. I think if we're honest with it, we got away with it, but we can't. The road narrows, right? We don't have that kind of latitude anymore. You got to get it right. So restore before more, make sure, be honest that, you know, if you were rating your own energy level on a scale from zero to four, that you're at a four most days. Everybody has their ups and down days, but that you're most days, you're getting close to a four and or at least a a three plus, and then you're really ready to start. So otherwise I would suggest, let's just back off a little bit. First thing, prioritize strength training, just like you. So they want to grow up and they want to be like Marisa. That's just all they want to do. And if you can do that, you're really focusing first on your lean muscle tissue. You're getting your body stronger, preparing your joints and ligaments for decades to come. But if you want to really experience the strength and the endurance and the stamina, carry yourself differently when you walk in a room, you know, all of the benefits that are both under the hood and in front of the hood, strength training is your best friend. It will make anything else that you want to do easier once you've got that strength. So then it would be, you know, I would encourage a base foundation. So even though ultimately I'd love to see everybody doing some interval training, establishing a base is the smartest thing that you'll do. So movement, low level, low to moderate level movement and walking. And if not walking because of ankle, knees and hips, if something in there is prohibiting you, then finding your equivalent of walking. Maybe it is on a bike. Maybe it's in a swimming pool. Any mode of exercise can fit that bill But the key is that you love it, you know, probably better than it's outside if you can and it makes sense in your environment than if you're, you know, inside in a low, low hanging ceiling and on a treadmill. But um, you got to do what you got to do. So those would be starting places. And then I've got numbers if you want to dive into that on how frequently to do this and how frequently to do that. Mm, yes, yes. Let's do numbers. I, I know that, you know, 20 minutes of strength training is two hours of metabolic, of like your metabolic rate increases, right? So we're not talking about a lot here. And who doesn't want the side benefit of the two hours during rest where you're just right. burning? Yes. <laughs> right. And it can go greater than that. To tell you the truth, it can go for hours. It's really you know, what kind of weight, how heavy can you go? But the most important thing is reaching muscular fatigue at the end of every set. And, and I think that's where women, you know, in the past have been a little 
you know, off put and not quite understanding what does that mean? Because we've so often gone to group fitness classes and that's where many women got their exposure to strength training. And some are fantastic, not throwing them under the bus. But if you went and, you know, the instructor is calling out, we're doing, you know, three sets of X repetitions, you know, not every woman knew at the end of that set, you want to wait heavy enough that you're reaching muscular fatigue. And often instead we would premeditate. So you'd be in class thinking, well, I have to get to that third set. So I'm going to, I'm going to potentially wait till I get to that third set to really you know, worry if I'm fatiguing or not, or think about it. And, and so we often get to 15 or the 12th repetition and we put the weights down, but we could have done five or 10 more. That weight is too light to really help you do the most good. So if you are going to stimulate your muscles where you no longer have that estrogen that is stimulating lean muscle mass, the weight training will take over for it. It will be that stimulation that now is gone. It's got to come from somewhere else. You've got to reach muscular fatigue at set one. So you just think about this next 12 repetitions. What will it take to really have that 12th one be the last one I can do with great form and start to really kind of shake and be, be ready to, to be done? That's how you want to feel at the end of the first and the second and the third set. And if you lift that second set and you use a little smaller weight, but you still reach fatigue, you've been successful. Wonderful. That makes so much sense. So making sure that we always go towards muscular fatigue at the end of every set. Is that more important, the amount of time that we're doing strength training? I'm asked this a lot. So how long should I, how long should my strength training workout be? You know, and the bigger point is, Let's reach muscular fatigue and get a quality workout. So it's not necessarily about the minutes, although, you know, you and I can look at what's the metabolic burn rate if we were doing 20 minutes versus we were doing 40. Is that going to be a little bit higher for 40? Absolutely. But I think knowing for, for almost anybody listening, watching, time is the biggest obstacle for all of us. So 20 to 25 minutes, I think to most of us, is less than a half an hour. That feels very doable. So you don't want to think, well, if it's not an hour, it's not even worth it. It's absolutely worth it. So it's about regularly and consistently giving you that big boost that may last for, say, up to five hours afterward. And if you do that and you're increasing your metabolism, you know, two or three times a week by hours higher than you normally are. And you also start to play on the other side of nutrition. You're getting adequate protein, which also increases your muscle protein synthesis, your ability to use that build lean muscle. Then you're having a tremendous increase in your metabolic rate by the end of the year, that many times a week, a month, and, you know, annually, that's going to have a huge difference on your body weight and composition, most importantly. So I like to see twice a week for sure. And I know you said you're doing it every day, but let's clarify for everybody that you're doing different muscle groups every day. You're probably not repeating the same ones. And that's hugely important because rest and recovery is very important. And the rest between is as important as the actual exercise. So it's the rest, the recovery, 
when you actually build the lean muscle back up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So there are different muscle groups that you could be working, you know, you said twice a week or three times a week, maybe even four times a week that allows for other muscle groups to rest. And that is definitely my intention as I work different muscle groups, different days for sure. Thanks so much for that. So I'm so glad we're, you know, we're talking about strength training. I know you had mentioned a little bit of HIIT training as well. But the one thing that I know that you and I agree on is that cardio can, and not to say that cardio, we need to throw that under the bus either because there definitely is a time and place. You know, my mom loves cardio because she's got her friends and they all connect and they chat and do all these things when they're running. But when it comes to burning fat and weight loss, it's not necessarily always, it's not coming from cardio necessarily. That's such a great comment. And often I think when you, when you get into that perimenopause stage, it's especially true. And, you know, your mom in postmenopause may have a little bit more latitude to tell you the truth. So in perimenopause, I think that's when for most women, it's the worst kind of you're going on that roller coaster ride of estrogen is, is going up and down. But the spike in cortisol with too much cardio activity will actually lead to potentially cortisol weight gain. And it may be one of the blocks that you're actually up against when you think, or these words come out of your mouth, you know, I'm doing cardio, you know, uh, regularly, I'm doing the strength training regularly, and I'm just not losing any weight. You know, it may be that all you're getting is a message, right? That's a sign, not something that you dig more into and do more of what's not working, which is often our backwards effort, right? So switch it, right? So your body is messaging you what you're doing is not working. The line for endurance type of cardio activity where cortisol doesn't have that after coming down, which it should. So we're going to elevate cortisol while we exercise because we're using cortisol as energy. But then if we're having that kind of complementary decline of cortisol afterwards, it's well worth it. What often happens is after you reach a point of about 60 minutes, 75, absolutely, that cortisol just continues to rise. It's not coming back down. And that's where your body cannot burn fat when you have too much cortisol in your system. So again, it comes back to you got to know where you are. And maybe that's a hint for anybody to do a saliva test and figure out what are you seeing? What's your pattern? Because it may be that walking and yoga are your first step in addition to strength training. Get that cortisol level back down, deal with your stressors, pay attention to those, and then encourage that higher intensity exercise. But short and high, hot, hit is so much better than long endurance training, especially during perimenopause, when you're going through the worst throes of symptoms. Mm. Well, yes, I absolutely agree. And when you were talking about just a little clarification, when Deborah was mentioning the salivary test, that was for cortisol. So if indeed you're finding yourself getting burned out and after exercise, especially after your cardio exercises and you don't really have a lot in the tank, it's absolutely worth looking to see if cortisol is deregulated. And that you and I, we've talked about this in great length on other shows too, where a lot of women are totally burning themselves out and it's having a detrimental 
impact on them. It's creating insulin resistance. It's, it, there's all kinds of concerns when we are, you know, deregulating and leveraging cortisol um, when when we really don't need to be doing so. Yes, exactly. The biggest challenge, as you know, is the decades of conditioning that women have had that, you know, suck it up, buttercup, pain is weakness leaving the body and it's, you know, no pain, no gain. We hear those messages repeatedly and they're still out there all over social media. So you're getting conflicting messages and you kind of need to put up your blinders and focus on just you you know, and take that feedback that is not working for you right now and say, okay, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to really test something different and make a change enough so that I can notice I'm going to stick with that for two to three weeks. And the feedback will be probably fairly dramatic if you're really making a significant change. Hmm. Well, one of the things you mentioned, because I know, you know, it's one thing to have everyone Think about putting in strength training and starting to do the work, but accountability is so critical, as you mentioned earlier. And so I'm really excited because you have got a hot, not bothered challenge that you are launching literally in just a couple of weeks. I mean, I know that right now people are joining the challenge. And so if if women are, if anyone, yeah, men too, but women in particular, so who are serving, both of us, are looking to kind of reset, get back on the saddle and create a routine and a plan that's really going to specifically benefit your metabolism, benefit your hormones, benefit your longevity, this is the program to do when it comes to movement. Anything I should add to that, to the Hot Not Bothered program or challenge? It is such a great accountability. And it is, uh, let's remove your decision fatigue about what you should do today and what you should do tomorrow. So you decide what time I'm going to do that. You put it in your calendar. I'll take care of the rest. The biggest benefit to this Hot Not Bothered Challenge, what's different about this is I really lay out 10 days for you, just like I would plan my own workouts or for a client so that each day complements the next and the one before it. So you're going to get some recovery days, even in that 10 short days, we're not going to throw you under the bus every day for 10 days and then let you recover on your own afterward. You're going to feel good during it, but I'm going to whisper in your ear every day with an audio to listen to them, maybe five minutes or less telling you why we're doing the workout we're doing and how it's impacting and influencing your hormones. So for some of you, you'll need to hear that because you're used to driving and going hard or going home all the time. And maybe you need to hear, it's okay, do this recovery because here's what's happening. Here's what positive things you're doing today. And for others, you may need to hear, you absolutely need to get breathless on those days we're doing interval training, but you'll see it all. So you'll see some interval training. You'll see some recovery days where I focus more on core stretching, mobility, and some strength training days. So you will get all of it. Great instruction and cueing, by the way, patting myself on the back, but I'm a cue queen. So I'm going to tell you things so that you feel like I'm in that living room with you telling you to get those shoulders down out of your ears just at the time that you need to hear that cue. So little tips that will help you do it safely and comfortably as well. 
Perfect. I'm so happy. This is such perfect timing. I'm going to have the link to joining the challenge, Hot Not Bothered. If you've been looking for accountability, looking for how to exercise that's going to benefit you the greatest at where you're at in your journey, especially with your health and wellness coming out of this pandemic, this is the challenge. Deborah, honey, where else besides the challenge, and we're going to be sending people there, where else can people plug into you? Absolutely. Find me on, so I'm loving Instagram lately. Such a fun way to communicate with people. DM me so you can actually ask a question individually. And I'm at flipping 50, flipping 50 TV everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. And flipping 50 all spelled out. No words. That's my URL and my home base. Woohoo. Thank you so much, honey. Thanks for coming on and and breaking it down for us and inspiring us to take action and make movement happen for each and every one of us every day. And I am excited about the challenge and not only to join it, but to share it. And um, I'm excited for you to transform a lot of women's lives. Thanks so much for having me. And hopefully next time we'll be together soon and give you a big hug. Love that. I would love that. I am so grateful that Deborah dispelled a lot of myths that women have been taught about their bodies and exercise. I have personally struggled firsthand with this. Over-exercising was the name of the game for me for so long, and I paid the price for it. I know it happens to many of us. I see it happen to women every single day. Now, what I love most about Deborah's approach is the way in which she makes it so easy for us to implement without a lot of guesswork, and she happens to have a ton of workouts on YouTube for anyone who wants to do it with her. We don't need to conform to the idea that workouts need to be grueling, exhausting, and exceedingly long. If anything, those workouts were never really serving us. Even when they felt like they did. I know in my 20s it felt like they did, but I definitely, if I go back, I remember feeling pretty exhausted and burned out oftentimes after working out. Now, if you want to dive into some really incredible workouts with Deborah and flip the switch after the pandemic, Deborah is teaching her amazing, amazing challenge, which is Hot Not Bothered. It's a 10 day challenge. It's about to start in early September. So you have plenty of time to get registered and get all the goodies. And this is what you're going to experience. This challenge, you're going to get everyday little short audios on how these beautiful workouts influence your hormones. You're going to get workouts that are about 30 minutes long, uh, sometimes shorter, including recovery days. And there's going to be an incredible, amazing community where you all get to connect and record your experiences, what you're loving, what you're not loving, all the things inside of a Facebook group. I mean, she is going to support you every step of the way in her 10-day Hot Not Bothered Challenge. I highly recommend checking it out. If you are looking for a reset and you're ready to kick off the fall in a really beautiful way, this is the program for you. So I'm going to have the link to it inside of the show notes. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the Essentially You podcast. If you are loving these episodes, definitely go share them on social, on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you love to share and leave a review on iTunes. And coming up this Friday, I am diving into, I don't know if it's a controversial topic, but definitely a topic that we're not talking enough about because I feel like it gets swept under the rug. And it's the most common nutrient deficiencies caused by hormonal birth control. Yep, birth control pills cause nutrient depletion. And I'm gonna be breaking it down in this Friday's episode. Until then, have an amazing week. 